Kristen Freeman, one of the site experts from Fansided's BustingBrackets.com, is our special guest. Let's talk basketball. This is ACC Nation, podcast, streaming radio, and YouTube. I'm Jim Quist. Will Ogenen is on break. Welcome, Tristan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Jim. It's uh, always a good time. Good to see you again. Uh, the start of the college basketball season, just a few short months away. The ACC men get back into the mix on November 7th, with, which probably seems like an eternity for anybody who's a diehard basketball fan. Uh, you've been ranking college basketball for a few years now, and before we get into the numbers, does it get any easier to do this as uh, time goes on? No, actually, it's harder because of the expansion <laughs> of transfer portal. I mean, at this point, all rosters have, have lost at least four, five, six key guys. You get all these freshmen coming in. You don't know what to think of them. And, and, and it's hard. You can basically judge off of, you know, past, you know, what they've done last year. But with most of them coming to a new spot, it, 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 it's hard. It's basically just a guessing game at this point. Well, hey, that's that's the best we could hope for. But we're going to get into a little detail here and talk about your thoughts of of why and why you think some of these teams are going to succeed and why maybe some of them aren't going to. Uh, before we take a look at the top five and the ACC teams that made your overall top 25, uh, let's get your thoughts on those that might be, let's say, the surprise teams the teams to keep an eye on or who you might think uh, are going to be sneaky good this season. Yeah, I think some teams to keep an eye out when it comes to find under the radar. One team I'm very high on is the St. Louis Billikens. You know, they bring back the nation's leading passer and Yuri Collins. Uh, they lost Javante Perkins last year to an injury, but he's coming back for a sixth year. He gave them 17 points per game. And then you have uh, one of the best shooters in the country, Gibson Jimerson, uh, 40 plus percent from three. They're going to make one of the best backcourts in the country. I have them ahead of Dayton as far as the 810 power rankings go. And I, I think the Billikens should be viewed as a second weekend team with one of the best backcourts in the country. And assuming that the front court handles their job, I, I don't see why St. Louis is in the top 25 throughout this season. I'll, I'll tell you right off, that was the first team that actually caught my eye when I was going down uh, the, the top 25 preseason poll. I, I just I stopped, and, and then I read in detail. So that that is a team. I think, I think you're right. Uh, they have the potential to be sneaky good this year. Let's start at number five. Um, and give us your impressions and some reasoning behind number five, Baylor. Yeah, obviously Scott Drew, who who now has the respect he deserves as a national title winner, he's always been able to develop, including mid-major transfers as well. He has now he's working with five-star talent. You know, Keontae George, one of the best pure shooters in the country, he he looked fantastic in Baylor's uh, preseason exhibition tour when the other guards were out. So now you bring him in along with returning guard Adam Flagler. You look at LJ Cryer, who was averaging nearly 20 points per game in the first 10 games of the season before he got hurt, their backcourt is going to be ridiculously good. And if you assume that West Virginia transfer, uh, Jalen Bridges can handle the fourth spot in replace of Matthew Meyer, probably a, an offensive downgrade, but a defensive upgrade, they're going to have one of the best defenses in the country, as well as one of the, I would say, one of 
two or three best perimeters in the country. I'll probably sell them a little short, but they do have some injury concerns to deal with, but they're going to be in the title mix for sure. At number four, we've got Kentucky. Um, the the only, uh, well, not the only, but a blue blood, the first blue blood, true blue blood, I guess, if you want to use that term. I think it's been uh, beaten pretty solidly. Talk to us about the Wildcats. What do they have? Oh, well, they have the best player in the country coming back in Ostrich Ashibwe. It's been over a decade since Doreen and National Player of the Year returned to college. Kentucky gets that with him. He was he led the country in rebounding, 2020 guy in the SEC with a bunch of talented teams. So for him to be dominant there, you know that's going to you know translate over for this year as well. Severe Wheeler was one of the top 10 passers in the country. He's back as well, and then you know they have five star talent: Casey Wallace in the backcourt, Chris Livingston is sort of that combo forward. And I think the the only question for them is do they have enough shooting and spacing? You know, Tashibwe doesn't spread the floor. Wheeler's a 30% three-point shooter. He's not really someone that's going to shoot it. They do have Iowa transfer C.J. Frederick back from injury, but could he be a defensive liability? And if, if Wallace sort of handles his job as sort of the second guard, do you want Frederick out there in sort of smaller lineups? So if Kentucky can get enough shooting, then they can be a title contender. But that's something that we'll have to see on the court, especially at the fourth spot, because you're going to want to have someone who doesn't crowd the front court with Chisibwe like Keon Brooks did. You know, Brooks was a solid double-digit scorer for them, but the offense was clanky when they were in there. You know, can Jacob Toppin do that? Can Livingston do that as the small ball four? They, they have options this year that I think that'll make their offense even better, and it was one of the most efficient already. So if they're better at that end, then you have to put them as one of the top teams in the country. Next up at number three is Houston. Yeah, I mean, you basically, everything I said about Baylor, you can put for Houston, who might just be a little bit better. They were an Elite Eight team without two of their best players uh, who were injured in Marcus Sasser and, and Traymond Mark. Sasser was averaging nearly 20 points per game, probably an All-American had he stayed healthy. He's coming back. Jamal Shedd was one of the best point guards in the country, who's also back. Their, their backcourt is going to be elite with a ton of depth. And then they have five-star uh, power forward Jairus Walker coming in. We'll see what kind of impact he has. He's, he's the program's highest rated recruit uh, in history. If he if he's a double-digit scorer and he gives them offensive balance in the front court, then all of a sudden this could easily be the best team in the country. There's a little questions about, you know, what production they'll have after losing their, their two starters, which prevents them from being number two and number one. But, it, but the uh, backcourt alone makes them easy title contender and one that probably could be – I won't say win throughout the AAC, but outside of Memphis, I'm not sure if there's a team in the conference that can really stand up to them for 40 minutes. Good point. At number two, the Zags come in, and uh, not too surprising that they're somewhere in the top five mix. Yeah, I mean, you bring back Drew Timmy. That automatically makes you a top top three team in my book. I think while Tashiwe is the most dominant player, Timmy's the best offensive player in the country. You know, he's automatic in the low block. He'll give you 20 and eight. You surround him with one of the best shooters in the country and Roger Bolton in the backcourt. Julian Strother, who, who's probably the best pro prospect on the team. He's back on the wings. And then you add the SoCon, uh, the SoCon player of the year and transfer Malachi Smith from Chattanooga. He can play one through three in the backcourt. And who knows, he may have to play point guard 
if Nolan Hickman, who's a five-star, uh, former five-star guy himself, he he takes over for Andrew Nemhard. The only question with Gonzaga is whether or not their point guard plays at championship caliber level. They have, in my opinion, the most talent of any team in the country and the highest ceiling. We just have to know for sure that the point guard play is going to be up to national title standards. All right. Perhaps at this point, we've got some fans moaning. Uh, oh, here we go again. Duke is the preseason number one. Break the news to them, Tristan. Yeah, Duke's in the top 10, but not number one. It's the rival North Carolina uh, and the team that went from almost missing the tournament after they lost to Pitt midway through league play to making the historic run all the way to the title game, being one minute away and arguably a healthy Armando Baycott from winning it all. You know, they returned four starters. You know, Armando Baycott, I would say, was right in the same caliber as Timmy and Tashibwe as best bigs in the country. You got the backcourt duo of Kayla Love and R.J. Davis. Maybe a little inefficient at times. Both of them have shown that he can go for 30 at any point. Leaky Black's one of the best defenders in the country. And then you add uh, Pete Nance, a transfer from Northwestern, who led them in points and rebounding, and also quietly shot 45% from deep. So he, he, he actually can replace Manic in, in the shooting caliber and be a little bit of an upgrade in other categories. So when you have that in the mix, as well as a bench built with top 100 prospects that could be used or not, it, it's hard to see why they shouldn't be number one to start the season. Quietly shooting 45%. <laughs> That's a pretty loud percentage, I'd say. Uh, for the complete list of the preseason top 25 plus five more teams that are waiting for their shot at rising in the rankings, Make sure that you visit BustingBrackets.com. Now, let's take a look at the ACC preseason power rankings, which are just out. Um, let's touch on a few teams with potential before we get into that top five, Tristan, if you, if you'll, uh, if you will allow me to go this route. Let's, yeah. um, let's start talking about some of these, these other teams that have potential and we, we keep waiting for something to happen. We'll start with uh, Miami. Wong is back. Transfer pack comes in. Um, what else are we looking at here? Strengths and weaknesses that are holding uh, Laranega's crew back or, or moving them forward? Yeah, I, I think that the transfer Nigel Pack, who was fantastic at Kansas State, and, and it's also important to know, he, he shot 45% from three, was very efficient from the field overall. And the Big 12 had five of the best defenses in the, in the country last season. So you had other stars in the conference like Mike Miles and uh, even the Baylor guards. They were actually fairly inefficient, which it wasn't their fault. It was just how strong the conference was defensively. So for Pack to be such a great scorer shows yeah, he's truly one of the best offensive players in the country. The concern, though, is he's really more of a two-guard. He, he only averaged two assists a game. You could argue that the surrounding talent didn't help him in that matter. But we've seen other guards average four or five assists without much scoring, you know, production around them as well. And Isaiah Wong's not a point guard. He, he's, he's a scoring guard. So if you have two scoring guards, who's going to be the facilitator? And, and, that, and if you remember, Miami struggled in the two years prior when you had Wong along with Chris Likes. And Chris Likes is not a point guard. He's basically just an undersized scoring guard himself. So will we see a repeat of that? As well as a front court with some question marks because – Norchad O'Meara was a Sun Belt player of the year at Arkansas State, averaged 18 and 13. 
really good player at the mid-major level, but he's an undersized six, seven forward. And historically, the smaller bigs who go to the power conference level and they can't shoot the ball and they have to be able to score from inside, they're going to struggle against bigger, stronger offense uh, defenders. If he can't produce, then where's the production going to come from? They'll need a lot from Jordan Miller. They'll need four-star freshman A.J. Casey to produce. But between the point guard questions and the front court, court questions, they're going to need Wong and, and Pack to go for a combined 40-plus in order to win most of these games. And, and I think the opposing head coaches in the league will find ways to prevent that. It's going to be interesting to see which one of those two players is, is going to be uh, dishing the ball off. Because <laughs> I don't think either one of them want to. Hey, uh, next up, the question is, is age a good thing? We'll find out with Notre Dame this year. Uh, Mike Bray, does he finally have a roster that can move the Irish back into the mix of the ACC? Yeah, it's going to be hard because they lost, I would say, two of the three best players when it comes to Blake Wesley and Paul Atkinson. Uh Wesley was the guy who single-handedly revamped this entire team because you bring back a core two years ago, they, they weren't good. They didn't make the tournament. All of a sudden, here comes Wesley, a guy who's actually able to go to the bucket and get a basket, can do so. And the hope is that J.J. Starlin, who's another top 30 incoming guard, that he could be the new point guard for them because, remember, Prentice Hub is also out. So if they need a point guard somewhere, can it be him when Niagara transfer Marcus Hammond? You, you bring back Dane Goodwin, who was 15 points per game, quietly enough, was all-conference caliber player. you got several guards that can shoot 40% from three, including the big uh, Nate Lazuski. But without besides Lazuski, there's not a lot of front court depth. So you're going to need some of these freshmen to you know, step up and provide the depth. This is a team that can shoot really well. But again, like Miami, there's some point guard questions, and there, there, there's – defensive questions as well like Notre Dame could score 80 but they might be giving up 80 as well so I'm curious to see what they'll do but Mike Bray has, deserves the benefit of the doubt and I think they'll find a way but it might not be but it might not be pretty all the time let's uh let's touch on a few other teams here uh because they're they're worth mentioning in part because they've they've shown in the past uh, that they have some capability um they, some of these teams are, are turning the corner um, and they're building. Uh, Wake Forest, let's start with, with them because this is a team I think that, uh, that we have seen a coach get a lot out of a little as he started. And where's it going next? Yeah, I mean, Wake Forest was the biggest winner in transfer portal when you, when you take a post look at it. Alondis Williams went from being the fourth or fifth best guard at Oklahoma to the ACC player of the year, like truly a lottery uh, win and transfer for them, as well as Jake LaRavia, who, who's, who went in the first round of the NBA draft. Those guys are gone, including a few other guys. They, they brought in four others, all of them who can shoot. You look at Jao Toka, who was a freshman player at Marist. You look at Andrew Carr, who was shot 40% from the field. These are all mid-major transfers, except Tyree Appleby, who was a starter at Florida. I think they had they brought in enough depth to where they should be able to compete in the middle of the pack for ACC. But can Davian Williamson, who's sort of the, the, the top returning guy, can he be the star? Unless one of these transfers can do that. It, it looks like it's going to be sort of a 
they'll win by death, that they'll have a good seven, eight main rotation with five double-digit scores. But they needed Alondis Williams to go for 20 and six to win the games they did last year. And now with him gone, it, it, it could be a fight. I think the respect that Steve Forbes as head coach that, that he earned last year sort of makes people think, have them, you know, sort of in the six through eight range. But you could argue that from a roster standpoint, talent-wise, that they could be in nine through 11 range if these transfers don't work out the way that we, we think they do. But after seeing what Williams and LaRavia did, it's hard to, to, to assume that it won't. Um, this is a this is a team that and I, I have a really close friend who's a, a big pack fan. Um, and he's he has been really frustrated for the last couple of years. I I don't know if there's open talk about a hot seat for a coach here, but NC State looks to me like maybe some things are, are happening there. Maybe it's about time too. Yeah, I, I think Coach Keats is going to be on the hot seat because this is likely the last year for their returning star, Jokavian Smith. Like he's he's a NBA prospect. Everyone has him in the lottery area. He comes back. He could easily average 20 a game and, and lead the Wolfpack in score. And the question is going to be, can all of these newcomer transfers play their roles? Like you have DJ Burns, who was a big South player the year Winthrop. He's a solid front court player. You have the Utah transfer big man uh, who, who also should add some depth this year's team, I think is much more balanced compared to last year's team, especially defensively where they'll actually try on defense. Uh, is there enough shooting? They also have point guard questions too. Cause I'm not sure if Cam Hayes is the answer and Smith isn't a point guard. He's going to be, he's going to be a chucker. He's going to put up 15 to 20 shots. We'll see how that works. They have, they have enough talent on paper to compete. Uh, the question is going to be whether or not defensively they're good enough and whether or not they don't need to rely on Smith going for 20-plus in each game to give them a shot at winning. Interesting. Um, Pitt, let's talk, let's talk about what's going on there because, uh, to me, that's been a head-scratcher, well, to some degree, because they they've gone through some really rough times, uh, the coaching, et cetera. Uh, but there's the potential of something happening this season. Yeah, I, I think if you took Pitt's roster and put Steve Forbes on it, people might have this team in the, in the six through eight range because there's actually a lot of talent. John Hughley averaged 15 and eight without having any perimeter play to work with. And you now give him Dior Johnson, who's currently ranked in the top 40 of the freshman class, but at one point was a top 10 prospect in five-star. If he looks like that and, and, and can give them 12 to 15 points per game as a true point guard, something they didn't have last year, that automatically raises the ceiling for them. You give them six-year transfer Nelly Cummins, a hometown guy from Colgate who was an effective starter. You add Greg, Greg Elliott, who shot 40% from deep. You get uh, Nike Sabande back who missed last year with an injury. Jamari Spur, another, another double-digit scorer. There's, there's real good offensive potential with this team. And you even add the Diaz Graham brothers, who's a couple of six foot 11 forwards, who's athletic, who can shoot the ball and is, and is good defenders. You, you can, this team, I think, has a high ceiling, but also a low floor because many of these guys also aren't proven at the ACC level. We don't know what Dior Johnson will do. We don't know what Cummins will do at the ACC level because it's far different from the Patriot League. 
you know, there, there, there's, this is going to be a team that has the potential to do it, but we'll see early on when they take on West Virginia in the first week of the season in the backyard brawl of their own at home against Pitt. If they don't win that game or at least look very competitive, then I think you're going to hear the murmurs go with, with Coach Kitchen. And here's a, here's a question I think that everybody has, especially the fans over in Louisville. What's up with the cards? Empty cupboard and a total rebuild going on there? Yeah, it, it, it almost feels like the new coach, Kenny Payne, is almost forgetting about this year and focusing solely on 2023-24. They're obviously going after top five-star uh the, the five-star prospect, he's, his name's escaping me, but the family friend uh, of theirs. But if they can't get him or my, or Aaron Bradshaw, the five-star center, they're, they're going to be in big trouble. You know, this upcoming year, they have L. Ellis as the only true guard that's coming back. You know, they added a three-star freshman who should get some minutes there. You know, they're arguably their two best players might be freshmen in Kamari Lands and, and Devon Reed. So if you don't get them, you can be in some real trouble. And, uh, you know, they have Tennessee transfer, Brandon Huntley Hatfield. He, he's a solid player as well. It, it, it's, it, I think this team is likely going to struggle. The question is going to be whether or not fans are patient and quite frankly, whether or not the results on the recruiting trail gets them off their back. Because if they go, you know, four and 16 or worse in league play, and Kentucky gets uh, DJ Wagner, who his name I remiss. If Kentucky gets Wagner and or Bradshaw, it's going to be it's going to be rough for Coach Payne. <laughs> but I, but fans, from what I've seen, they're being patient for now. But when you go an entire off season cycle and there's 1,500 players in the portal and you don't get one transfer guard to at least pair with L. Ellis, that's that that's some mismanagement on there. Yeah, that that's got to raise a red flag with people. Did it did it with you when you first knew that was going on? Did that sort of say something's not right? Yeah, I mean, the coach Payne said you know early on that he didn't want to get one year rentals that he wanted to build a culture, which while I understand and it makes more sense at the pro level, it's hard to build a culture if your team goes four and sixteen in league play because then other guys aren't going to want to play with you. <clears throat> There's also the, the argument that maybe they didn't go hard enough on certain transfers because they really wanted to make sure that DJ Wagner could come in and lead the offense. The problem with that is if you were reportedly linked to Imani Bates and everything that that goes into, that, that's kind of hard to make a culture standpoint. Now, maybe they ultimately didn't want to go with it, but you spent a fair amount of time on Bates and Tyrese Hunter. Neither of them was going to work out and you basically just decide not to go after anyone else. That That's that's sort of a, a rough move to make, and one that could easily come back to haunt them, especially if L. Ellis isn't ready, you know, to be a 35-minute per game point guard, That's which is what he's going to have to do because they legitimately don't have any other options. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to interviewing somebody that covers Louisville specifically to see what the reaction, just just what you just laid out here, what their reaction to that offseason action or lack thereof has been. Boy, that's uh, that is that's mind-boggling, to be honest with you. I, I don't get it, but hey, uh, you give at that level, you give coaches at least for a year, 
benefit of doubt. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. Well, let's go with the top five in your ACC men's basketball rankings. Uh, we're going to go with number five. Um, Mutz transfers, uh, and I, I'm not going to say, is it Basil or is it uh, Basile? And Poti, uh, Couture, there's more. The Hokies, Virginia Tech, number five. I don't know, I probably butchered all of their names. That's okay. I do too. That's what's great about being a writer. No one can tell if you butchered them. But True. Uh, Mike, Mike Young deserves all the benefit of doubt. You don't have Kevin Aluma, who is obviously a big loss, but Justin Mutz is one of the more underrated players in the country. Can truly do a little bit of everything for them. I wouldn't be surprised if his role expands to where he's averaging 15, 7, and 5 next year. Like he's capable of that. Grant Vazile, the right state transfer, he, he really good scorer at the Horizon League level. His defense is a question and whether or not. He, he can, because Mutz is so versatile, you can put Vazili at the five. Yeah, Mutz played the four, and it shouldn't be too much of an issue, so that should be fine. Couture and Sean Fadula are two great shooters. I think this Virginia Tech team, like Notre Dame, can easily be one of the best shooting teams in the country again. And if that happens, then their floor is going to be raised. I do have questions about the point guard play. Uh, I do wonder if they're not ends up leading the team in, in assists, which – can be a good or a bad thing. You 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 would prefer if your guards can can lead the way, but I think as long as those guards can shoot, even if there's some defensive questions, I think Virginia Tech will will be fine overall. Uh, at number four, Virginia Gardner, Beekman, Clark, and more. Um, what do they need to do to become that team again? Yeah, they're going to have to shoot better. And, and it's particularly Frankman and, and Clark. Like, Gartner isn't a shooter and neither are the centers. So there's automatically going to be spacing concerns. Franklin was very inefficient from the field, shot under 40%. I feel like if one of the starters could potentially be a danger losing minutes based on the incoming uh, freshman and transfer class, it's probably him. They bring in Ohio transfer Ben Vanderplas, who's a versatile player. Maybe you have him play at the three to give them some more size. Reese Beekman, you would like to see more offense from him because he has star potential. And maybe if there's less of Kihei Clark and more of Beekman, that could be the way to go. They do have uh, shooters coming in from uh, the class, and any Tony Bennett team should always be viewed as a threat. Assuming they get through the non-conference play without bat losses and with the ACC expected to, you know, take a step forward in terms of the regular season play, which is why they didn't have as many bids as they normally do. Virginia should benefit from that and get back to the tournament. They'll always be capable of beating Duke and Virginia because of their defense, but their offensive inconsistency at times makes them vulnerable to losses to Pitt and Boston College and even Georgia Tech. So if they clean that up, they should be just fine. At number three, Florida State, uh, Cleveland, last year's ACC sixth man, Mills, and what looks like plenty of big men to clog up the lanes here. Um, if if yeah. this clicks. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're front, yeah. It, the, the, the front court should be fine. They have a two-time defensive player of the year transferred, Jalen Ganey from Brown. He, he fits what they have. He's not going to score much, but he'll defend very well. Matthew Cleveland is, is a lot of is almost a lock for people's uh, lottery next year. He doesn't even shoot, and he only made six three pointers last year, which isn't ideal for a wing or your best player. If you're going to be your best perimeter player, you're going to have to be a threat from deep. He's worked on that. I think that he could have a breakout year. 
Caleb Mills is solid guard. Uh, I don't think he's he's good enough as a point guard for them. So you're going to need Jalen Worley, who's who's a traditional point guard, to sort of have a breakout campaign of his own. If he does that, they'll be fine. Also, Darren Green's a double-digit scorer and shooter from UCF. There's enough offense for them. Their defense should be fine just again. And look out for uh, uh, frontcourt uh, freshman Baba Miller, who comes from Spain. He's a top 75 prospect. He's one of those that fits the, the, the long line of international guys that comes in a little under the radar and then just explodes out of nowhere. He has all the tools. It'll be interesting to see if, if he's someone that stands out early on for the Seminoles and gives them some offensive firepower inside. That's somebody that I'm keeping an eye on because just what you said, I, I think with all of that uh, skill set they picked up overseas or in, in Europe, um, he has the potential to really tear up some things. And number two is Duke. Uh, they've got the number one incoming freshman class. They've got Roach, Lively, Whitehead, but surgery may be holding them out. And the question is, for how long? Yeah, the the, the, the Dukes uh, says that he should be back by around opening day. Uh, the same thing happened with A.J. Griffin a year ago, but it took him another month to sort of get back into the fold. He was coming off the bench. He wasn't himself. took him a while. We don't know if the same will happen to Whitehead or not, but he should at least be on the roster and, and suited up by opening night, which is a good thing. Ultimately, Duke is going to come down to Roach because last year's point guard was effectively Wendell Moore. It wasn't even Roach. And Roach spent a lot of time on the bench before he sort of have his coming out party in NCAA tournament. So if Roach can be the lead passer as well as a good score for them, then they'll be a title contender. If, if his up and down play continues, even as a junior, then unless Tyrese Proctor, who was a reclass candidate to join this year, unless he's sort of the hidden gem that can immediately play, they're going to have some up and downs and, and they could be sort of like one of those three, four, five seeds that people will, will still view as a threat in March, but could, but could also not be good enough for a final four. And who knows what the freshman class, they're all different. Duke's had a bunch of all American big men, could Derek Lively be one of those that can do it in gear one, or maybe he's just solid. Filipkowski, the same thing as, as a four or five men. It'll be interesting to see who, which of the freshmen are the stars, but they're going to need someone to be a star as well as Roach, a star in his own right for them to reach their potential. I got a question for you. Do you think with coach K out of the picture that Duke will uh, continue to be a one and done type of team? Yeah, I, I, they, they will because players are going to want to go to Duke. And if you have top 10 prospects saying that they want to come there, you're not turning them down. Now, what, what Shire will do is he'll explore transfer for them more because as we've seen in the past with Duke and Kentucky's lack of success, success young teams just aren't going to win a March. So you have to be older, which is why they also went out and got Illinois transfer Jacob Granderson. But it, it'll be a mixture. You're, you're going to have your five-star guys but you're also going to try and bring in some transfers to at least have some, some leadership and veteran players around there. But ultimately, if, if you're a one-and-done player and you still want to go Duke because it's Duke, with or without Coach K, you're going to be able to – you're going to be able – will want to bring those guys in. Good point. I like that. Uh, the maturity mix with the, the one-and-dones, that's a, that's a good approach. And number one is North Carolina and Hubert Davis – 
looks to have returned the Tar Heels to their sweet spot in ACC hoops, Tristan. He's got four of five starters back. You talked a little bit about some of them a couple of minutes ago. Share your thoughts uh, on this team and how deep their bench goes. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Washington's a, a top 40 freshman forward who, who should be able to get minutes. You have Tyler Nickel coming in. You also have several players from last year's class who who – uh, got some minutes before they just went six deep. Puff Johnson was someone that you saw in the NCAA tournament when Baycott went out. Uh, you look at DeMarco Dunn, who's a proven shooter. It'll be, I think these are all guys that we'll see a year from now because there's a good chance that all five stars will be gone. So it's hard to see what, 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 these, what the bench players will do because when in doubt, coaches will go six, seven deep. But, but I think the interesting part with the Tar Heels this year is that Duke had all the targets because of Coach K's retirement tour. Like, did everyone focus on Duke and the ACC? This year, all the all the eyes are going to be on North Carolina because they're the team that went to a title game. They're the ones that had all the attention. They're going to have the target on their back. And, and the one concern you had with the Tar Heels last year was they were a little soft at times. Like when you hit them, when you punched them in the face, real good, they retreated. They they did they make a full turn on that, or was it just for the postseason? But they're going to get everyone's best shot. It won't be Duke this year. It'll, it's going to be the Tar Heels. They have the likely player to year Cannon and Baycott. They have the guards. They have the, the coach at Hoover Davis, who is now sort of the, you know, sort of the big man in the ACC in a way. What they'll do being the hunted instead of the hunter is going to be very interesting because it could be something that they sort of shy away from and it could cost them to lose some games. So even though they're the favorite on paper, I, we, we've seen this in the past, but teams like Virginia, Florida State, Virginia, even Virginia Tech are capable of winning the regular season because they lose fewer bad games. And who knows whether or not the Tar Heels are ready for it. So there's plenty of teams that we haven't touched base on. And here's what I recommend. Be sure to visit BustingBrackets.com for the complete top-to-bottom power rankings of ACC men's basketball teams. Tristan has written up a great piece, and it gets into detail uh, and gets you in the mood for the college basketball season, which is just a couple of months away. BustingBrackets.com. Check it out. The ACC men's basketball teams uh, ranked from 1 to 15. Uh, Subscribe to ACC Nation on your favorite podcast and streaming radio platform. And be sure to like and subscribe to ACC Nation on YouTube. We want to thank our special guest, Tristan Freeman of BustingBrackets.com. If you're looking for great basketball content, make sure you follow Tristan on Twitter. He's at HoopsNut351. That's HoopsNut351. And subscribe to Fansided's BustingBrackets.com. Thank you, Tristan, for joining us and getting us in the mood for some basketball. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on.